wait a second. They called the one thing a carbohydrate, and they called the other a fat? Man, they should have called that a carbodehydrate. You may have heard that fat and water don't mix, but what you'll find out momentarily is that in a process called beta oxidation, you best mix your fats with water if you want to burn them for energy. Ketogenic diet has neurological benefits. Why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? I'm Dr. Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com, and you're watching Masterclass with Masterjohn. We are now in our 20th, count them 20, and we're not even halfway done. We're now in our 20th in a series of lessons on the system of energy metabolism. And today we are taking our first full look at the details of the beta oxidation of fatty acids. Last time we looked at glycolysis and we started with glucose. Today, we are starting with a long-chain saturated fatty acid to look at beta-oxidation. Later, we'll see that there are various permutations of glycolysis if we input different carbohydrates other than glucose. Later, we'll also see that there are different permutations of beta-oxidation if we put in different types of fatty acids. But here are the basic details from the first through the last step. As shown on the screen, Reviewing from earlier lessons, carbohydrates are richer in oxygen than fats, and they are more hydrated than fats. In fact, carbohydrates are called carbohydrates because they have carbons and they have hydrogens and oxygens in the ratio of water, H2O, reflecting that these carbons are hydrated. When we look at fatty acids, we see that they are not hydrated, and that's reflected in the clear lack of oxygen in that molecule. The basic steps of beta oxidation are shown on the right. Certain atoms or bonds in that diagram are shown in red, and that's not to imply the tracing of specific atoms or electrons as special colors are often used in these lessons. Rather, it's to simply draw attention to what's changing around this carbon. You can see this carbon and the one next to it in the fatty acyl CoA that we begin with are in their reduced states. We oxidize those carbons to produce an enoyl CoA from the fatty acyl CoA. What's different about it is that each of those carbons is missing a hydrogen, and to make up the lost binding opportunity, they come in on each other and form a double bond. In chemistry, ene, E-N-E, means that there's a double carbon-carbon bond. And so an acyl group is a carboxylic acid with its OH chopped off. An enoyl group is an enoic acid with its OH group chopped off. A carboxylic acid with a double carbon-carbon bond is an enoic acid, therefore, the enoyl-CoA 
is simply the form of the fatty acyl CoA that has a double carbon-carbon bond introduced. Oxidation prepares that molecule for hydration because how are you going to add water to it if all of the carbon's binding sites are full? By taking away electrons and introducing the double bond, now there's a position where you can add more atoms and add more electrons. So now you can hydrate it and you can see the red OH group is new. In addition, the other carbon has one more hydrogen than it had before. But what we need for this cycle is to produce the carbonyl group of the acetyl group of acetyl-CoA. And we're not going to get a carbonyl group simply with hydration. Now that we've hydrated it, we've introduced the missing oxygen, and we need to oxidize the hydroxyl group to a carbonyl group. So here we go from a hydroxyacyl-CoA to a ketoacyl-CoA because we have the acyl group with the OH added, hydroxy, and now with the ketocarbonyl added. We cleave this apart to produce acetyl-CoA and a shortened fatty acyl-CoA. Notice that the water coming in is not producing the carbonyl that's going out as acetyl-CoA. It's coming in to produce the carbonyl group that in the next round of beta-oxidation will be chopped off as acetyl-CoA. Notice right here the similarity to the citric acid cycle. In the citric acid cycle, we were consuming water or oxygen borrowed from water in the form of phosphate in order to release CO2 because we didn't have enough oxygen. Well, here we're doing the same thing, only we're consuming water to generate carbonyls because we don't have enough oxygen to make the carbonyl of the acetyl group same principle, and in fact, the oxygen in the acetyl group is later going to be released as CO2 in the citric acid cycle. Notice also that in the citric acid cycle, we release CO2 at the beginning of the cycle. All of the inputs of oxygen, whether from water or phosphate, are to prepare the molecule to release CO2 in the next turn of the cycle. Just as here, introducing the water in the hydration step is not yielding the carbonyl of the acetyl-CoA in that round, it's to produce the carbonyl that will become the carbonyl of the acetyl group that leaves in the next round. The basic steps of beta-oxidation are remarkably analogous to the last three steps of the citric acid cycle. In those steps, we had succinate, and we oxidized it to fumarate. Oxidizing it prepared it for hydration to malate, and then the OH group produced in the hydration of malate was then oxidized to form the carbonyl group of oxaloacetate. Now, notice the cofactors here, where riboflavin is used in the first oxidation step, and niacin is used in the second oxidation step. As we dig more into the details, of beta-oxidation, we'll see even more parallels in the cofactors. Before we dig into those details, let's talk about why we call it beta-oxidation. Shown on the screen is a fatty acid. 
We can label the carbons in one of two ways, each with Greek letters. We can talk about an omega-3 or omega-6 or omega-9 fatty acid, and when we do that, we're counting the carbons from the omega end, which is the methyl group end, rather than the carboxylic acid end. You have omega-1, omega-2, omega-3. An omega-3 fatty acid has a double bond starting at the three position, then you have omega-4, omega-5, omega-6. Whenever you have omega-3, 6, or 9 fatty acids, you're talking about the position of the double bond with respect to the omega end of the molecule. We must be forgiving to people who talk about getting their omegas. But if you understand why the use of omega here is saying omega-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you should never say you're getting your omegas again. Now, on the other side of the molecule, we have a carboxyl group, which is the functional group of interest. And when we have the functional group of greatest interest, next to it is the alpha carbon. After that is the beta carbon. And what we'll see is that the oxidation steps of beta oxidation are particular, particularly centered around the beta carbon. Notice even here, looking at this fatty acid, where would you cleave it to get an acetyl group? Well, there's no CoA shown here, so you'd be getting acetic acid, but imagine a CoA here. If you wanted the acetyl group, you would want one, two carbons with a carbonyl. You'd cleave it at the beta carbon. Now, in this citric acid cycle, we had oxidation, hydration, oxidation. The first oxidation was catalyzed, the first oxidation used as a cofactor, FAD, which is derived from vitamin B2 or riboflavin. Lo and behold, the first oxidation of a fatty acyl CoA to produce an enoyl CoA uses FAD. Here, we oxidize it as we talked about before, and here the color is showing you what's happening around these carbons. And you trace the purple and you see they're being oxidized as we already talked about. We're adding that this is a trans-delta-2 enoyl-CoA. And the reason we're referring to it in that manner is that first of all, trans, because the hydrogens are sticking up in one way and down the other way across this double bond. It would be cis if they were both in the same way. And so this is a trans, not a trans fatty acid, but a derivative of a trans fatty acid here. And it's delta two because if we count the carbons from the alpha side, we start with carbon one, carbon two, and the double bond is at the delta two position. And delta is the Greek letter that's closest to the English letter D for double bond. This oxidation step is catalyzed by one of several acyl-CoA dehydrogenases that depend on chain length. When we talk later about how different fatty acids feed in here, and how different problems can arise with different enzymes in beta oxidation, we will see that it's very important to pay specific attention 
to the different acyl-CoA dehydrogenases, but they're catalyzing an analogous step. Remember that in beta-oxidation, we have to do all of these steps each time we chop off an acetyl group. So we're doing it over and over again. And as we go from a longer fatty acid to a shorter fatty acid, eventually we're gonna switch from an acyl-CoA dehydrogenase that is specific to longer chain lengths to an acyl-CoA dehydrogenase that's specific to shorter chain lengths. Nevertheless, the basic reaction and the cofactors are the same. Now that we've undergone the first oxidation step, there's actually binding sites available in the trans-delta-2 enoil-CoA to accept water in the hydration step. Water is added in a reaction catalyzed by an enoil-CoA hydratase. Clearly, hydratase refers to the addition of water in the hydration step. You can follow the purple and trace what has already been done with the red showing what's newly been done. And you can see that the hydration step is reducing these carbons, and that's especially clear where the carbon on the bottom is getting an additional hydrogen atom, but also because the double bond is breaking and that OH is being added to the top carbon. Now we have an L3-hydroxyacyl-CoA. This is called a hydroxyacyl-CoA because we have a hydroxyl group added to carbon one, two, three. Because that's the third carbon counting in from the end, that's why it's a three-hydroxyacyl-CoA. And we specify that it's an L3-hydroxyacyl-CoA because now we have a chiral carbon. A chiral carbon happens when we, have, when we can look on each side and we see on one side is OH, on one point is H, that's different, at the other point is CH2CO-CoA, that's different, and then on the other end is CH2CH2CH3, that's different. If there's four different things, you have a chiral carbon and all of a sudden the specific arrangement can make a difference in whether it's one isomer or another, and that's why it's in full technical detail called an L3-hydroxyacyl-CoA. This water is the water that provides the oxygen that becomes the missing carbonyl group that we need in acetyl-CoA. But notice, as we said before, that an OH group is not yet a carbonyl. In order to make it one, we need to oxidize it again. Just as in the last three steps of the citric acid cycle, when we oxidized with riboflavin, we hydrated, and we oxidized with NAD plus or niacin, so again, in this step of beta oxidation, the second oxidation step, we use NAD plus or niacin. You can see the purple that had come in first and then what had been added in red during the hydration step, and now we see the conversion of an L3-hydroxyacyl-CoA to a 3-ketoacyl-CoA by looking at the purple and red things that are taken from that molecule. So you can see that one hydrogen is purple, one is red, so one is taking the hydrogen of the OH that had been supplied by water, and that's oxidizing the oxygen. The other is taking 
the existing hydrogen that had been there from the beginning, and that's shown in purple. And by oxidizing the carbon and oxygen, they're now both in need of a binding site, and so now you have a new carbonyl. This is catalyzed by an L3-hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase. Once we have our 3-ketoacyl-CoA, we cleave it. We don't cleave it with hydrolysis. We cleave it with thiolysis, which is thiol, thi from the Greek theon, meaning sulfur, which is analogous to hydrolysis, but is done with sulfur. And this is catalyzed by an enzyme called beta-ketothiolase. We could call this carbon number one, two, three, or we could look at our functional group of interest and say it's the alpha-beta carbon. So you could also call beta-ketothiolase a three-ketothiolase, and you could also call three-ketoacyl-CoA a beta-ketoacyl-CoA. And as explained in earlier lessons, this is biochemistry. Our goal is to have as many names for the same thing as possible. It's important to note here that just, that there, just as there are, are multiple acyl-CoA dehydrogenases, there are also several beta-ketothiolases. We will talk in later lessons, especially when we get to protein metabolism, of why it's important to distinguish between the beta-ketothiolases that exist. However, this beta-ketothiolase in this step is one single beta-ketothiolase that can handle many different chain lengths of acyl-CoAs. Beta-ketothiolase is taking a new free CoA, and its sulfhydryl group is shown in orange to show you what's going on here. And that CoA is coming in between the alpha and beta carbon. Cleaving that bond, the H is going to the methyl group that becomes acetyl-CoA, and what's left over is a shortened fatty acyl-CoA. So you can see this bond, which is the, el this bond, which is the alpha carbon, has a purple H, that was originally there, a red H that came from water, you cleave that bond, and the H in orange from the sulfhydryl group makes the third hydrogen of that methyl group. Now you've cleaved there, that S bonds to the beta carbon, but now that beta carbon is the new carbon one. And now this is the alpha, and this is the beta, and we go on down through the next round of these same exact steps. Notice then why this is called beta oxidation. We're cleaving between the alpha and beta carbon. In order to get to the point where we could cleave between the alpha and beta carbon, we first had to oxidize the alpha and beta carbon. Then we hydrated the alpha and beta carbon with the oxygen of that water going to the beta carbon. In the final oxidation step, we just oxidized the beta carbon. Thus, the beta carbon is the centerpiece of the oxidation that happens in beta oxidation. In the last lesson on glycolysis, we noted that 
Glycolysis is water neutral, and we said that carbohydrates therefore consume three waters versus four per acetyl group that enters the citric acid cycle for beta oxidation. Thus, burning carbs consumes three quarters or 75% of the water as beta oxidation of fatty acids. We had revised this because when we looked at glycolysis, we saw that paying attention to the stoichiometry of the oxygen atoms instead of just the molecules as presented in the typical textbook would lead us to say that rather than being a net production of water, we're net water neutral. Do we have any basis to substantially revise how we view the quantitative consumption of water by beta oxidation? Not quite, but kind of. Remember that in each case, we are cleaving off an acetyl group. But you'll notice in the very first acetyl group that we cleave, this carbonyl is shown in green, the standard color of the atoms and the molecules in these lessons. Why is that? Because it's already there from the very beginning when you had that fatty acid that had one carbonyl at the end. That means that you cleave your, you cleave your first acetyl group using the carbonyl that's already there. And in the first round, you're creating the carbonyl for the next round. You keep doing that till the end and you'll get to the point where at the very beginning, you were preparing for the last step. That first chopping off of an acetyl group represents the acetyl group that didn't need oxidation, hydration, and oxidation to produce its carbonyl. You finally see the dividend, the payload of that at the end when you cleave the final acyl-CoA not into one acetyl-CoA and then one acyl-CoA that goes into the next round, but you chop the four carbon acyl-CoA into two acetyl-CoA. At that point, you now realize that payoff of having the first carbonyl at the beginning because there's one water in that entire process that doesn't need to be consumed for that existing acetyl group. So we can kind of revise what we said a little bit. If we take something like palmitic acid or palmitate, which is one of the most common fatty acids that would undergo beta oxidation, it has 16 carbons, so it produces eight acetyl groups. Seven of those acetyl groups require oxidation, hydration, and oxidation to produce their carbonyls. One of them doesn't. So if we're making eight acetyl groups, then we're consuming seven-eighths of a water molecule per acetyl group on average because seven acetyl groups need waters, one doesn't. However, we can't really do better as a general rule than what we already said. So although the true amount of water consumed in beta oxidation is slightly less than one water per acetyl group, it's 
the simplest way to accurately describe what's going on to say that carbohydrate consumes about 75% as much water during its metabolism through to carbon dioxide in the citric acid cycle as fat. Okay, whoever told you that fat and water doesn't mix was really kind of right, because what they meant was you put them together and they're not going to physically mix together very well. Nevertheless, the fact that carbohydrates are hydrates of carbon and that fats are not is terminology that reflects their biochemistry. Because the fatty acids are not hydrated, you must hydrate them chemically through chemical reactions in order to introduce the oxygen that becomes the carbonyl of the acetyl group that will be released in the next round after it's added of beta oxidation in the fatty acid. The audio of this lesson was generously enhanced and post-processed by Bob Devodian of Torian Mixing, giving you strong sound and dependable quality. You can find more of his work at torianonlinemixing.com. If you want to keep watching these lessons, you can find them on my YouTube at youtube.com slash chrismasterjohn or on my Facebook at facebook.com slash chrismasterjohn. Or if you really want to get the most out of these lessons, you want to study them, you want to learn them, you want to go at your own pace, you want to do it your way, MWM Pro provides premium features where you have enhanced searchability, enhanced self-pacing, transcripts, whether web page or PDF, download the transcripts, download the audio, use whatever format you want best, easily find exactly what you're looking for really quickly, and have hyperlinked for the reading materials right at your fingertips, and then come back to ask questions or discuss the materials in forums for each lesson. So if you really want to get the most out of them and really know your stuff, sign up for MWM Pro at chrismasterjohnphd.com slash Pro. All right, I hope you found this useful. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've been watching Masterclass with Masterjohn, and I will see you in the next lesson.